Hello. Thank you for listening to our podcast today. We hope that you will be encouraged and it builds your faith. Thanks for listening. Well, if you have your copy of God's Word this morning, if you'll turn to the book of John, chapter 12. And, um, you know, this is Palm Sunday, and, you know, sometimes religious holidays uh, are some of the most difficult for pastors to prepare for, and, um, and they're hard to preach. I mean, for me, Mother's Day and Father's Day are, are, are hard uh, to prepare messages for, and and sometimes, you know, during Christmas season, and but Palm Sunday is one of those uh, one of those Sundays that that are hard to prepare for. And uh, of course, there's there's several uh, recordings in the Gospels. Matter of fact, Palm Sunday is in uh, the triumphal entry of Jesus is in all four Gospels, and uh, each one uh, really has a different version and a, a and a, really a different story. Uh, than, than the other, and so it's amazing. But if, in the book of John, chapter 12, we're going to begin reading at verse 12, and uh, I want to preach a message this morning, life lessons from a donkey ride. Life lessons from a donkey ride, and um, we got a little bit of a life lesson a few minutes ago, uh, and, uh, and so Carter got a life lesson from a donkey ride this morning, and uh, he wanted the buck about halfway down through here, then he got stubborn, and uh, but I, as I said, I believe Jesus' donkey was a little bit more compliant uh, than that one was. But the book of John, chapter 12, begin reading in verse 12. The next day, a great multitude that had come to the feast, when they heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem, took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him and cried out, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, the King of Israel. And when Jesus, and, and G, then Jesus, when he had found a young donkey, sat on it as it is written, Fear not, daughter of Zion. Behold, now your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's coal. His disciples did not understand these things at, at first. But when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered those things that were written about him. And that they had done these things to him. Therefore, the people who were with him, when he had called Lazarus out of the tomb and raised him from the dead, bore witness. For this reason, the people also met him, met him because they had heard that he had done this sign. The Pharisees therefore said among themselves, You see that you are accomplishing nothing. Look, the world has gone after him. Father, we thank you for your word, and I prayed for just a few minutes, God, that you would turn our hearts toward your scripture. May it encourage us this morning. May it strengthen us. May we have a fresh revelation of your triumphal entry. We thank you, Lord, for Jesus, this beginning of Passion Week, as a representation of you going through what you went through to get to the cross. The scripture says you were obedient even unto the cross. And so, Lord, we thank you for the sacrifice of your life. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Here in John 12, uh, John 12 is already dealing with Jesus' final week here on earth. It's interesting because the 21 chapters of John, half of John 
is dedicated to the final week of Jesus' life on earth. Half of the book of John is dedicated to the final week of Jesus' life. Now, how many know that if half the book is dedicated to the final week of Jesus, how many would think that the final week of Jesus is an important part of Scripture? And so, but two-fifths of Matthew is dedicated to the final week of Jesus. Three-fifths of the book of Mark. One-third of Luke is dedicated to the final week. And one-half of John is dedicated. And so, and, uh, and so we see that the Gospels are written, uh, as we see here through the Passion Week, that most of what's written in the Gospels has to do with the final week of Jesus' life. Matter of fact, of the four Gospels, there are 89 chapters that are written in all four Gospels. Four of them cover the first 30 years of Jesus' life. 85 chapters cover the last three and a half years of Jesus' life. And of those 85 chapters that cover the last three and a half years of Jesus' life, 29 of the 85 cover the last week. And so we begin Passion Week with this event that is mentioned here. It is mentioned in all the Gospels. It is mentioned here in John 12. And for the record, I just want to say that this donkey in the story is probably the luckiest donkey in all the world. I mean, to have on its back the Son of God, to be fulfilling Old Testament prophecy, and uh, while being led into Jerusalem. In preparation for this message, I did a little donkey research um, because I just some things I wanted to know and wanted to share with you. And um, But donkeys are interesting because most of them live to 30 to 40 years. Matter of fact, some of them can live up to 60 years. And so, but what I found most interesting was is that guess what a donkey's favorite pastime is? Guess what a donkey's favorite pastime is? Some would say eating, right? It it seems like it'd be the most logical, uh, most would say eating. But a donkey's most favorite pastime is rolling on the ground in the dirt. (laughs) I have no idea. (laughs) Scratching back and getting flies off. Maybe I ought to do that more often. (laughs) But uh, now I understand Eeyore. And, and the Winnie the Pooh story a little better now. Now I understand why he's always grumpy. And so, but donkeys have long ears. And if you've ever wondered what the long ears are for, there are two reasons. One, it keeps them cool. Uh, two, it allows them the ability to hear for miles. Donkeys have great hearing and they can hear for miles. There was a recent study that was done and, and recorded in the London Times that said this, that said more people are killed annually by donkeys than, than who die in airplane crashes. Now, I don't know about you. I, I don't know how that, you know, how they discovered that or even why that's even important or who would even investigate that. But that's a fact. More people die are, are killed by donkeys each year than die in plane crashes. So you're safer on a plane than you are a donkey. And, uh, and so, but of course, this Sunday is traditionally called Palm Sunday. 
We celebrate the triumphal entry of Jesus into Jerusalem. And uh, uh, on the Jewish calendar, it is the 10th day of Nisan. Not Nisan the car, but Nisan. And, uh, and it's interesting because Jewish families, on the 10th day of Nisan, Jewish families would select a lamb for Passover on, on that day. And on the 14th day of Nisan, uh, they, would, they would sacrifice that lamb. So it is a picture. It's interesting that the day the Lamb of God is riding into Jerusalem on a donkey, presenting himself, as it were, uh, to the nation, that on this 10th day of Nisan, uh, and, and our calendar, that day is April 6th, 32 A.D., it was that day, that particular day, Jesus is riding in on a donkey the same day that the Jewish nation goes out and picks a lamb to be slaughtered on Passover. I thought that was interesting. When you look at these verses, it gives you some... When you look at these verses and, and Jesus riding in to Jerusalem on this donkey, there's a couple of things that I discovered or things that I seen and a couple of things that, that I observed as principles that can come from this donkey ride that Jesus takes. I want us to see a couple of things this morning. And, uh, of course, I've heard many messages on the, on the triumphal entry donkey. And, uh, but as I begin to read this, I begin to see a couple of things that could be pertinent to us this morning that we can take away from this passage of Scripture. So if you'll give me a few minutes, I'm going to preach a little bit. And... Uh, and just mention a few things. I won't be able to get too deep into them like I would want to, but you'll get the gist of what, what I'm trying to communicate this morning. Number one, the, lessons, the lesson that we learn from a donkey ride this morning, number one is this, is that Jesus is more appealing than religion is. That Jesus is more appealing than religion. Look at verse 12. Look at what it said. The next day, a great multitude had came out, had come to the feast. Now, some estimate that over a million people was in Jerusalem at this time. They came from all over. It was their custom every year to come to the Passover. If they were close enough, they were required to be there. Some estimated over a million people were there. And what was the reason of their coming? Religion. Their religious reason for coming. And so they came, and in verse 12 it says, They came to the feast when they heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. They took, palm, they took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him and cried out, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, the King of Israel. And so more, more appealing to people than religion Jesus is more appealing to people than religion. And, uh, and so, and was then and is today. I believe Jesus is more appealing to the world today than what religion is. I believe that. And so, who, who is this crowd that comes out to see Jesus? Who is this crowd that turns from the being in the middle of the feast and turns and comes to this triumphal entry as Jesus is entering into the city. Now, for the Jews, there were three mandatory feasts every Jewish person was required to be in Jerusalem for. One was Passover, which was being celebrated here. Two was Pentecost, 
and three was tabernacles. And of course, Passover celebrated their deliverance from bondage of Egypt through the 10 plagues and and now the focal point of, of Jewish history of Jesus delivering them out of Egypt through the 10 plagues. But every year, think about this, they came to Jerusalem every year. Some would can't come the same old route as they always came. Some would, some would, would do the same rituals as they always did. Some would do the same uh, prescribed prayers as always, always did. And frankly, it just got old. I mean, they were doing the same thing every year over and over and over again. They just, they came into the city. They did the same thing for a few days. They said the same prayers, did the same rituals, and they were clamoring for something more than what the religion was offering them. Jesus was in town, and they gravitated to him and spontaneously began to shout, Hosanna, Hosanna. The word Hosanna in the Hebrew means save now. Save us now. It is a cry. Save us now. Save us now. In other words, in other words this is what they're saying. Give us what religion can't give us. I believe that was their heart cry. Their heart cry to Jesus was give us what religion cannot give us. What religion is unable to do. Because Jesus is more appealing than religion. Think about this for a moment. Jesus was a breath of fresh air in a climate of stagnant, stale, religious experience. Seriously, think about that for a moment. For years and years, they have been repeating the same rituals in Jerusalem year after year. The people came. They knew what was going to happen. They knew how it was to go. They knew the protocol. They knew the actions. They knew what to do. But all of a sudden, here's this Jesus that all of a sudden is coming into the city. And Jesus, all of a sudden, he's a breath of fresh air. In other words, he's doing things that they had not experienced before. And so now Jesus was a fresh air. Let me tell you, Jesus is always a breath of fresh air in the face of stale religion. Y'all hear what I'm saying? Because there's so many people that are so used to playing church. Y'all with me this morning? You do the same thing Sunday after Sunday. You sit in the same place. You do the same thing. You even even worship the same way. Three nods to the left, two nods to the right. Three nods to the left, two nods to the right. Matter of fact, I can tell when most of you are not here because you're not sitting where you normally sit. (laughs) Right? And so the Bible tells this. In Mark 12, the Bible says, And common people heard Jesus gladly. Everyday folks. He gave them parable after parable. He, he, he had confrontation with religious, the religious elite, or I call the religious prideful. Jesus to them was more appealing than their hollow religion. He was more appealing than their hollow religion. General Booth, who founded the Salvation Army, he said this. He said this. He said, I like my religion like I like my tea. I like it hot. And he said, 
<laughs> and so most people, if, if they have any spirituality at all, I don't know about you, but I like my religion hot. I like my experience with God hot. I like the fire of God. I like enthusiasm. I like joy. I like freedom in the house. And so Jesus was a breath of fresh air. He was real. He was vibrant. He was authentic. That's what it means to have hot religion, to be real and authentic and vibrant. Who wants, I mean, I wouldn't want to go to church where it's stale and cold and religious and boring, right? (laughs) I want to go where the presence of God is, where I know Jesus is going to show up and that his presence is going to be there. I want to go even though they don't know what they're doing. They allow donkeys to come down the center aisle on Palm Sunday. (laughs) I want to go where there's freedom of worship. And people feel liberty to serve God and love God and be who they are in God. Not some makeshift ceremonial stuff. Because of that, there was this clash that happened between Jesus and the religious leaders. The old system or the new that Jesus was offering. This clash kind of highlights itself in Matthew chapter 15. You don't have to turn there, but actually I'll I'll turn there and read it to you. Matthew chapter 15, Jesus has this clash with the religious leaders. And uh, down in verse... uh, Matthew 15, in verse 2, it says, It says, Then the scribes and the Pharisees, who were from Jerusalem, came to Jesus and said, Why do your disciples transgress the traditions of the elders? For they do not wash their hands when they eat bread. Oh, my God. (laughs) He answered and said to them, Why do you also transgress the commandments of God Because of your traditions. Religious leaders came to Jesus and uh, they were upset. They they come after Jesus and said, why don't your disciples wash their hands? Why do they transgress the traditions of the elders? Why don't they wash their hands ceremonially before they eat their bread? And Jesus said this, he says, why do you constantly transgress the commandments of God for your traditions of men. And then I love it what Jesus said down in verse, I believe it's verse 7, or later on he said to them this, he said, hypocrites, well did Isaiah prophesy about you when he said, these people draw near to me with their mouth and honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me, and in vain they worship me teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. In other words, the clash between Jesus and the religious men, um, Jesus had confronted them about the fact, because here's what they were doing. They were making up commandments of themselves 
and put people in bondage to those commandments that were not commandments that were given by God, but commandments that were introduced by men themselves. And then holding people to the standard of it when God never commanded that to be a commandment. They were making up their own rules as they went along. See, the spirit of religion will do that. It'll make up its own rules as it goes on. Because the spirit of religion wants control. It wants the ability to control every move that man makes, every move that he does, every expression that he shows. But the spirit of Jesus is that people would live in liberty and freedom and have the freedom to love and serve God as they choose to love him. Let me tell you what these are. This is what I found out. Now, look, I pastored a long time in, in, in Baptist churches. So I know a little bit about religion, a little bit. And I've even felt the, felt the velvet brick of religion, if you know what I mean. It's been thrown at me a few times. But, but let me tell you this. Let me tell you what that translates as. It translates as preferences. People will take preferences and try to make them doctrines. They'll take, they'll, 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 they'll pass laws like saying, well, no other music can be in our church except for the hymns. <laughs> As if that's what God has said. Got quiet in here. I, I ain't afraid of y'all this morning. I feel the pushback, but that's all right. I like hymns. I sing them. I don't get the words right all the time, but I sing them. And I believe they're part of our, of our Christian heritage. I believe they have, they're strong. I think we should sing them. But you can't take a preference and make it a doctrine and hold people in bondage from things that may liberate them or allow them to be freer in other areas of their life. That's what religion will do. And so here we have this clash between Jesus and religious men. And so what you see because of who Jesus was, people like tax collectors hung around him. Prostitutes came around him. Lepers and unclean, adulterers, those who were forsaken, those, who, who, uh, those that were seen as, as less or, or the lowest in society. So Jesus lovingly forgave them and used forgiving words was, the, was to those who were the lowest in society. But he saved his most scathing words for the religious and for those who were religious. Jesus had his harshest words for those. I'm just here to tell you, Matthew 23, he says, woe unto you hypocrites, and he unloads on them. And so why the appeal? Why the appeal? What is the big difference between Jesus, the person, and the practice of religion? Because common people heard him gladly. I'm going to give you a couple of those. Here are some of the differences between Jesus as a person and the practice of religion. Number one, religion emphasizes the outward. Jesus emphasizes the inward. You hear what I'm saying? Jesus would look at them and say, why are you thinking evil in your heart? He said the abundance of the heart than the mouth will speak. In other words, the inside mattered more than the look on the outside. Religion is more about the look on the outside. 
Because here's how religious people think. Religious people think that if you clean up on the outside, for some reason, it's going to translate to the inside. I'm here to tell you this, that if Jesus can get on the inside and clean us up on the inside, it'll translate to the outside. Huh? Are you all with me this morning? And I began to think about this. I thought to myself, we, we, we live in a world that's this way. We, we judge people for their outward expressions and we measure them. And, and, and within our heart, we measure how spiritual they are by the things that they do on the outside. And so we become, become judgmental. We can look at people and make an assessment that they're at a certain place spiritually when really they may be closer to God than you are. <laughs> Y'all hear what I'm saying? I'm just, here's what I'm here to tell you this morning. It's not about whether you wear pants or whether you wear skirts, whether you have makeup on or whether you don't, whether your hair is in a bun or whether you got a Dorothy Hamill crop top. I'm just here to tell you what matters is on the inside because Jesus on the inside is working on the outside. <laughs> but I'm not disparaging those who have outward convictions. I have outward convictions. I just don't go anywhere I want to go. Right? I mean, I don't, I don't frequent neighborhood bars. I mean, when I want a, uh, a Shipley's hamburger, I send my wife in to get it. <laughs> I say, baby, they'd be a lot easier on you than they are me. <laughs> Let me tell you, they got good hamburgers in case you're wondering. Somebody will say, man, why'd I see everybody at River Valley at Shipley's this afternoon? I... <laughs> it's the hamburgers. <laughs> Praise God. Number two, religion is about what you can't do. Jesus is about what you can do. Religion is prohibition. Thou shalt not. But Jesus has come as you are and watch what I can do through your life. How many are glad? How many are glad that God's about what you can do? Jesus wants to introduce to us what our potential is, what our destiny is, what are the ability that we have to do for the kingdom of God and not so much spending time on what we're not allowed to do. How many know we have the Holy Spirit that keeps us in check from what we're not allowed to do, right? If you're listening to the Holy Spirit, you don't need somebody else to tell you what to do or not to do. The Holy Spirit himself will let you know what you should be doing and should not be doing. And if you're not listening to the Holy Spirit, well... That's another lesson at another time. Some whole spiritual experiences. Most people, I, I mean, most, there's a lot of people that I meet that most of their, their experiences, religious experiences, is negative. They talk about what someone said they couldn't do or what they, what they weren't allowed to do or what they had to give up or what they had to let go of or what you know, how they were to behave in a certain way or to do. I'm telling you, when I read the scripture, I read about all the things and the liberty that I have as a Christian 
and the things that God allows me to step into as a believer, all of the things that I'm able to step into, have faith to believe, have faith to walk in, what I'm allowed to receive, how I can walk with victory in my life, not just with just a badge that says I'm a Christian, but literally have the power of God working in my life that says I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me this morning. I'm telling you, this religious thing is the real deal. Number three, religion puts up barriers, but Jesus pulls barriers down. (laughs) I said religion puts up barriers, but Jesus pulls barriers down. If you were in Jerusalem 2,000 years ago at this time of the triumphal entry, and we went to the temple, you would not be able to go or to enter in. You would have been unable to. You would have been allowed to go into what was called the outer court or the court of the Gentiles. In other words, because you would have been looked at as someone having spiritual cooties. (laughs) You would not have been allowed into the temple. You would have had to stay out in the outer court. Jewish women were allowed to go further than you. And Jewish men were allowed to go into the inner court. And if you were a priest, you were even allowed to go further. There were certain courts that you were allowed into, certain places you were allowed to go into, some things you were allowed to go into, and some things you were not. The courts that you went into, in other words, the courts in the temple were there to keep people out. And believe me, religion is good at keeping people out. Religion is good about saying who's worthy to come in, who's worthy to worship, Who's worthy to to receive? Who's worthy to to receive Jesus and know Jesus? I'm telling you, religious churches can dictate to people who's welcome and who's not welcome. Religious people can set standards that, that keep certain people out. Well, we don't want those addicts in here because they 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 smell. You might have to sit by somebody that smells that's homeless, that has addiction issues. You might have to sit by somebody who's unclean or somebody who's going through something in their life. Religious people, that bother because they don't like messes. They don't like dealing with people that have issues and have problems and they don't like dealing with people that are struggling and having a hard time. Religious people, all they want to do is to be able to practice religion and leave. But I'm here to tell you, Jesus was more than just practicing religion. Jesus broke the protocol when he, when, he, when he healed the leper and touched the unclean, when he healed the woman with the issue of blood, when he, when he healed the blind man, and when he healed the man by the pool of Bethesda. Jesus broke protocol. Why? Because Jesus says, All men are welcome. All are welcome to come and drink of the water of life. And I'm here to tell you that as a church, this is something that we have got to get a hold of. We've got to let the world know that everyone is welcome in this house. Everyone is welcome to worship. No matter who they are, where they've been, what they've done, what they've walked through, the color of their skin. Y'all hear what I'm saying? 
Let me tell you, even the homosexuals welcome. Now, they're not going to want to stay long unless they want to get right with Jesus. Just like the sinner, just like the sinner who comes. They should not feel comfortable in here for a very long period of time. Because eventually, eventually, see, if you're in here this morning and you're lost, if you continue to come here, eventually what's going to happen is the Holy Spirit is going to begin to tug on your heart about your life and about where you stand before God and where you stand as far as heaven and hell. Oh, my God, he said hell. Are you allowed to say that in church today? Huh? It's in the Bible. That's right, it's in the Bible. How many know people that are not saved go to hell? How many know that's what the Bible teaches? <laughs> I'll get an email. That preacher's preaching hellfire and brimstone today and unloving. He's unloving. He's just unloving. <laughs> Jesus said this, Come unto me, all you who are labor and heavy laden, I will give you rest. Let me tell you what that word rest means. It means means to transfer the burden from one to another. (laughs) How many are thankful that when you came and gave your life to Christ, what Jesus did was he took the burden of your life and he transferred it from you onto him and he began to carry what you no longer could carry. Hallelujah. How many are thankful you don't have to carry that addiction anymore? You don't have to carry the shame from your decisions anymore. You don't have to carry the pain of heartbreak and the pain of divorce or the pain of brokenness or the pain of brokenness of family, of broken relationships. How many know Jesus will come and carry whatever's been weighing you down in life? He is able to carry it for you. That's an invitation to you this morning. It's an invitation for you to come and lay down your heaviness to the Lord. I'm telling you, the days are short. The days are short. Jesus is coming soon. I believe he's coming soon. Number four, religion says, work your way. Jesus says, I am the way. Most of the world religions are about what you have to do in order to get to God. Praise God. Hallelujah. The religion of human achievement. The gospel is about divine accomplishment. The religious figure out what they have to do. The gospel says, Jesus says, I have already done for you. It is finished. Receive as a free gift, and there will be a transformation that will begin to take place in your life. And Jesus is more appealing than religion this morning. He's more appealing than religion. Because I've seen people come in, and they get saved, and they cry for a while, and then they try to be religious. They try to come. They try to be at church and and they come, but what's happened is there's not been that true conversion that has taken place in their life. So they become easily, easily uh, distracted and easily uh, disinterested in the things of God. 
But I'm here to tell you when Jesus really gets a hold of your life, there is a transformation that takes place on the inside of you. There is a hunger that is born in you that says I have to be around the presence of God. I have to be around the people of God. I have to be in the word of God. I've got to have fellowship with God. Jesus is more appealing than religion. You know, it's interesting. They cried out, Hosanna, which means save us now. But I always thought in this text, as we've read this text, I always thought that the most out-of-place verse in the text was verse 19. Because here you have the religious, the Pharisees. The Pharisees, therefore, said among themselves. You see, religious people... They just don't say out. They kind of gossip behind the scene. You know what I'm saying? They just kind of they just kind of gossip it behind the scene. Because one, they don't have the backbone to confront people. They just they just want to tear them down behind the scenes. They just want to destroy them. And and let me just say this. I hope I hope you don't get upset at me this morning. But let me just say this. I think it's time the church gets away from personal destruction of believers. Where, listen, we're living in a day when we just don't disagree with people, where we just don't disagree with them. We have to destroy them. We have to destroy their reputation. We have to destroy who they are. We have to tear them down so bad that their reputation is so ruined that there's no grace or mercy for them anymore. Now, they can have grace for themselves, right? but they'll never show grace for anybody else. It's about who I can destroy, who I can ruin, who can I gossip about the most, who, how can I destroy their life and ruin their life because they're not who I think they should be. Y'all with me this morning? You all think that I'm sitting up here not knowing that y'all don't get those phone calls. <laughs> I know you get them. You know why I know? Because people tell me. Most of the people you gossip to tell me that you've gossiped to them. <laughs> hey, some of you are like, really? <laughs> there's some things I don't know, but there's a whole lot I do know. Because you know what? The people you gossip to are excited to come and tell me that you gossip to them. I'm losing y'all. I better get back on track. <laughs> Verse 19. The Pharisees, therefore, said among themselves, you see that you are accomplishing nothing. Look, the world has gone after him. The Pharisees, they discovered the people were more attracted to Jesus than to their religious system. Their competition with Jesus. Jesus drove, and this is the reason, because religious systems only draw you to yourself. Religion only draws you to yourself. Jesus was drawing people to a closer relationship with God. Jesus was drawing men and pointing men to God and to a better relationship with God. Religious systems are not about getting you to God. They're about satisfying their own belly. <laughs> All right. Jesus was more appealing than the religious. Number two, 
The life lesson of a donkey ride. Number two, scripture is more reliable than opinion. (laughs) I'm going to say that again for those of you in the back who might have been distracted. (laughs) Scripture is more reliable than opinion. (laughs) How many are thankful that scripture is true? Let God be true and every man a liar. How many know man's opinion is no greater, is not any greater than scripture? That scripture itself is much greater. Look at verse 14. Then Jesus, when he had found a young donkey, sat on it as it was written, Fear not, daughter of Zion. Behold, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. Verse 16, it says, His disciples did not understand these things at first, but when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered that these things were written about him and that they had done these things to him. Now here, track with me for a minute. 2,000 years ago, Jesus pulled his disciples and said, and said to them this, who do men say that I am? Do you remember Jesus doing that? They said, some say you're Elisha. Some say you're the prophet Jeremiah. Some say that you're a prophet. Who were they quoting? They were quoting the opinions of men. Some say you're Elisha. Some say you're like Jeremiah. Some say you're like the prophets of old. But yes, who do you say that I am? Who do you say that I am? And so they were all opinions. But it's interesting, John the Apostle in John 9, John 9, this is said about Jesus. It says, someone said that he's not from God. He doesn't keep the Sabbath. And John 10 says that he has a demon and has gone mad. Of all of the opinions, any of those accurate, the closest ones was the fact that they called him a prophet and that he could have been you know, looked at as a prophet. But here, here's what's interesting. Here in this passage, John quotes two scriptures. The first one is found in Psalms 118. Psalms 118, and uh, it is quoted directly there in verse, in verse 13. Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, the King of Israel. That is a direct quote from Psalms 118 in the scripture. Then in verse 15, fear not, daughter of Zion. Behold, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey colt. That is a direct prophecy from Zechariah 9.9 that says the king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. 500 years earlier than this happened, 500 years earlier, this was prophesied and this was part of scripture. The religious leaders knew this scripture. They knew it. They knew the scriptures. And so when they were singing, Hosanna, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, the King of Israel, they knew that this was from the Psalms. They knew that this was a psalm that was identifying the coming king, that was identifying the one that would come, that would fight for them, that would die for them, that would be a deliverer and a redeemer in their life. They knew when they quoted Zechariah 9.9, the king is coming, sitting on a donkey. And here's what the scripture says about him. See, it only matters what the scripture says. 
It doesn't matter what anybody else says about Jesus. What Scripture says, he is more reliable than what people think he is. I'm here to tell you, the Scripture is more reliable than what people think that it is. Listen, God's revelation, God's revelation is more reliable than man's estimation. So the question is this. Here's the question. Why a donkey? Why is he riding a donkey? I'll tell you why. He's riding a donkey so that he would fulfill and show what his identity was. It was a direct fulfillment of the very prophecies that I just read to you. The king comes on a donkey and presents himself to to man as their king. This is the first time that Jesus presents himself as king. He is presenting himself to the children of Israel. He is presenting himself to them as their king. You know, Jesus at times would go and heal the sick and do things. And what would he say after he did it? He'd say, go tell nobody, right? But here, he's coming into Jerusalem. He is literally fulfilling prophecy and announcing to a whole nation on Passover that he is the Passover lamb. He is the king. He is the one that the prophets had prophesied about and had talked about. And it's interesting, too. Kings rode on a donkey in time of peace. Matter of fact, kings would ride on a donkey when they would offer terms, when they would offer terms during war. So when a nation was offering peace to another nation during war, the king would ride a donkey as a sign of peace to that nation that they were willing to reconcile and willing to come together into an agreement. Jesus, as a king, is coming in peace. He's riding that donkey. He's coming in peace. And he's coming because he's come, because he's making terms with all of humanity and saying, I am the prince of peace. I've come to make peace with you. Men are without God, but I've come that men may be drawn to God, that men may be reconciled back to God. He's coming with peace. He's coming to be a redeemer and draw men and women back to God. It's a great prophetic picture. Because kings, when they waged war, they rode horses. And we read later in Revelation 19, Jesus comes back. He's not coming on a donkey the next time. Scripture said he's riding a right horse. And he's coming with judgment. He's coming with judgment and to make war, the scripture says. And so here the prince of peace is bringing terms of peace. See, this donkey represents the reliability of scripture. 500 years before, 500 years before all four gospels written have recorded this event. And Luke 19, John records the event But in Luke, Luke records what Jesus said. Verse 41 of Luke 19, the Bible says, and Jesus got close to Jerusalem and he wept over it. He wept over it. And verses 42 and 43 talked about how that the city of Jerusalem, because they missed their visitation, that they didn't know the time of their visitation, that they would fall into ruin and destruction. And it really was a prophecy of what was to come in 70 AD when Rome would destroy the city of Jerusalem. 
They missed their visitation. Jesus said it like this, you missed your day. Now, I'm going to show you something in Scripture that I think is fascinating. You may not think it is, but I think it's fascinating. There is a prophecy in Daniel, Daniel's prophecy in Daniel chapter 9, verses 25 through 27. I'm going to turn there. And uh, this is an amazing prophecy. And uh, just to show you how reliable the Scripture is, Daniel's prophecy of chapter 9, 25 through 27, it gives the timetable of the coming of the Messiah. And so, and this is what Daniel says. Daniel says, you'll be able to know the timing and the coming of the Messiah. Daniel, this this is what he says in verse 25. Know therefore, understand, that from the going forth of the command to restore and build Jerusalem until the Messiah, the prince, Shall be, shall be 70 weeks and 62 weeks. The street shall be built again and the wall even in troublesome times. And in verse 26, and after the 62 weeks, Messiah shall be cut off, but not for himself. And the people of the prince who is to come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. The end of it shall be with the flood until the end of the war of desolations is determined. Now, here's the meaning of that prophecy in jest. What he is saying here, that he says in the going forth and the rebuilding in, in the, book of, uh, uh, the book of Nehemiah, Artaxerxes, Daniel says that you'll be able to know the Messiah's coming from the time that the rebuilding from destruction begins until the time that the, uh, that, the, that the Messiah comes. He says, and he'll be cut off. He gives specific weeks and days. So the time that Artaxerxes had sent Nehemiah back to rebuild the wall. Now, there is a, there is a scholar, he is a criminal investigator. His name is Sir Robert Anderson. He was the head investigator at Scotland Yard for many years. He wrote a book called The Coming Prince. And what he did was he went in and he began to uh, date. He began to go through history and put dates to Daniel's prophecy. And he said the beginning of Nehemiah being sent to rebuild the walls was March 14th, 445 B.C. And Daniel's prophecy tells us that 483 years later that there will be, the Messiah will come and be cut off. So what he did was, is he went and he calculated those days. He calculated those days from the time of the prophecy And he didn't use the Julian calendar, which is 365 days, which we're on. He used the Babylonian and the Jewish calendar, which is 360 days. We're on a lunar calendar. They're on a solar. And so 483 years comes out to be 173,880 days. And so here's what's interesting. He calculated from March 14th. 445 B.C., when he decreed Nehemiah and, and, and uh, Zerubbabel 
and them to go back and rebuild the walls and go back and rebuild. He calculated the time, which was 173,880 days, and he pushed it forward, and guess what it came out to be? It came out to be April 6th, 32 AD, on the 10th day of Nisan, the very day, the very day that the scripture teaches, the day that Jesus rode in to Jerusalem on a donkey. Now, he's on a donkey presenting himself to the nation as a king this day, the prophecy of Daniel. And so we see in verse 16 that the disciples really, they didn't get it. You know, I think it's one of the best verses ever because it makes me feel better. Because how many know you can read scripture sometimes and you don't always get it? But after you go back and read it the seventh hundredth time, all of a sudden now you get a revelation of what it really means. It's just telling us that the disciples were real and, and how they perceived it was accurate. They discovered the reliability of Scripture. Let me just say this to you. The longer I live, the longer I live and the longer I live for God, the more convinced I am that this word is ever true. The longer I live, the more I see that the promises of this book are true. The more I live, the more I see, I believe the transformation, the promises and the transformation that this book can bring in people's lives. The longer I live, the more reliable I see that the scripture is and that the word of God is in our lives. The word of God is a source of confidence and security in your life because I'm governed by God's word and not by man's opinion. I hear man's opinion about God all the time. I'm telling you, after reading this story and re reading what took place in order to line things up prophetically, in order for this to come true and come to pass, God had to move prophecy through 500 years to bring Jesus and this donkey together as Scripture had recorded it to be done. And three, number three, and finally... What we learned from a donkey ride this morning. Following is more important than introspection. Following is more important than introspection. Following Jesus is more important. You know, there are four groups of people that are mentioned here. Four groups of people that John mentions that has a response to Jesus coming into Jerusalem. One is the disciples. These are those who have been following Jesus for three and a half years. They're disciples. They're learners, as verse 16 tells us. Secondly, in verse 17, we see eyewitnesses of Jesus raising Lazarus from the dead. They saw with their own eyes. They bore witness, and they saw it. The third group is there are those that heard about Lazarus being raised from the dead from the eyewitnesses who saw it, who were there. And then verse 19, we have the religious folks, the Pharisees, all four observing the same event introspectively. All four of them looking at Jesus coming into Jerusalem. All four groups seeing what is happening and thinking introspectively what is taking place, what is happening. You know, it's good to observe, but there has to be a time when your observations 
must lead to conclusions. I mean, people say, well, I'm just going to investigate this Jesus stuff for a while. I'll come to church and see what it's all about and you know, see how it, see how it goes. And you know, I, I might become a believer. There has to be a point when your observation and your introspection comes to a conclusion. The conclusion of the disciples, he's still worthy of being followed. Some study, 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 but they still fall short of following. I need more charts. I need more diagrams of the revelation. When he's coming, I need to know more. What you observe and introspect must translate to what you do. The question is, will you follow? How will you respond in the day of your visitation? By his Holy Spirit, this day is your day. Following is more important than introspection this morning. As I read this, the donkey is the most compliant of everyone that is in the story. (laughs) He's the most compliant of them all. I mean, and the scripture tells us this, that he was unbroken. He had never been ridden. No man had ever set on him. Just like this donkey this morning. He was acting like nobody had ever set on him before. (laughs) But Jesus gets on him and rides him into Jerusalem. Unbroken. No man has ever set on him before. But when Jesus gets on him, he's most compliant. I want to read a poem from G.K. Chesterton. I don't know if you're familiar with him. But he actually wrote a poem about this very donkey. He said, when fishes flew and forests walk and figs grew upon the thorn, some moments when the moon was blood, then I surely was born. With monstrous head and sickening cry and ears like errant wings, the devils walked parody on a four-footed thing. The tattered outlaw of the earth of ancient crooked will, starved, scourged, deride me, I am dumb and I keep my secrets still. Fools, for I have also had my hour, our far force hour and sweet. This was a shout about my ears, and palms were laid before my feet. I thought to myself, this donkey had no idea of the part that he played in prophecy, that he was fulfilling Zechariah 9.9. The donkey had no idea. But I want to leave you with this this morning. Pastor Adam, if you come. Think about this. This is what we can pull from Palm Sunday. All of those that I witnessed the entry of Jesus. There was more there than just a man riding a donkey. Let me leave you with this this morning. The same God that orchestrated these prophecies, orchestrated these dates, and orchestrated this donkey, I believe is the same God that we can come to a conclusion to this morning that can take care of you. You hearing what I'm saying? 
I said the same donkey, the same, the same prophecies and dates, the same God that orchestrated it all through time. The same God that orchestrated you being here this morning. Through all history and all the time, orchestrated the fact that you would be here this morning in this service. Is a God who takes care and cares for you and he cares for me. I'll leave you with this statement. This kind of God is worth following. I said this kind of God is worth following. Hallelujah. Stand with me this morning. Maybe you're here this morning and maybe you've made a confession of faith and maybe you've just not been surrendered. You'd say, Pastor, I I need to make a public profession of my faith. Maybe you've asked Jesus into your heart and you did it privately and you just want to make public what God has already done in private for your life. When I got saved, I got saved in a Sunday school class. March 1st, 1987. 1411 Antioch Road, Johnson City, Tennessee. 37650 was the zip code. Antioch Baptist Church, Classroom 102. Paul Garland preaching on the book of Acts. 10 minutes to 11, I got saved. Gave my life to Jesus. I left Sunday school, went up in the big church, and before they sang the first song, I was at the altar and walked the altar and professed my faith. And from that day on, my life has never been the same. It's never been the same. I said it's never been the same. You say, well, why do you remember all that? Why do you, why do you remember the day and, and why do you have to say it every time you talk about you getting saved? I'll tell you why I have to say it. Because I want to remind the devil. I want to remind the devil that who I belong to and that I will continue to be his and always be his. And maybe you're here this morning and you're not a follower. You're not a believer. This is the day of your visitation. Don't miss the hour of your visitation. Jesus' entry began Passion Week. I want to challenge you this week. I want to challenge you to go through and read John 19 and read it through as a devotion this week of every step and everything Jesus went through. The crown of thorns, the robe, the scourging, everything that put Him on the cross, the nails, the crown of thorns, the sign that was put above His head, all part of the crucifixion and all reminder to us of who he was. But it was also a reminder to those who were watching him being crucified that they had missed the hour of their visitation. How many people missed that hour of his visitation? You have no idea when your life will be required of you. I read the sad story this week of a football player who was crossing the street in Florida. He was a quarterback for the Pittsburgh Steelers. And uh, was killed, got hit by a dump truck and was killed. 24 years old. Had his whole life in front of him. I mean, how sad is that? Two children and a wife left behind. 
Don't miss the hour of your visitation. I'm going to ask Joe to come. Joe, if you and Michelle would come. And um, Laura, if you and Sharon would come and just stand together. And, and uh, Tyler, if you and Sarah would come for me here. And um, I'm going to open the altar up this morning. Maybe your need may not be salvation, but you may have another need. Maybe you need a miracle from God this morning. If he can fulfill prophecy, <laughs> believe me, he can take care of you this morning. Maybe you have sickness in your body. Maybe you need to get saved. Maybe you need to receive the Lord. Maybe you've never made a public profession of faith in your salvation. This is a great, great time to do it. I don't know what your need is this morning, what your concern is, or what's heavy on your heart, but I'm sure that there's a God that's good enough, able enough to take care of whatever your need is this morning. What a great encouragement of the Word this morning. Jesus' triumphal entry. How many are thankful that Jesus is greater than religion? <laughs> Hallelujah. How many are thankful that Scripture is more... Thank you for joining us for River Valley Community Church's podcast. If you feel led to give, you can click on the donation link in the description or visit our website at rivervalleymadison.com. If you've enjoyed the podcast, you can subscribe or share with your friends. Thanks again for listening. God bless you.